like anything in the music business, if you try to crack into that scene, you've got to get that right connection at the right time. You know, it's, it's, a, it's that magical moment where all of a sudden you get the right publisher, you get the right person. Welcome. You're listening to Measured Voices, the podcast that features conversation and music from songwriters around the Treasure Valley. I'm Walt Huntsman. In episode 31, I sit down with longtime songwriter Michael J. Brown. We'll talk about his earliest music experiences, his desire to mentor young songwriters, his Nashville experience, and his side project, the Treasure Valley Songwriters Showcase. All that and more, next on Measured Voices. I want to start like I often do and, and talk about uh, the presence or, or the role of music in your home growing up. Uh, did, did it have a big presence? What, what kinds of music filled oh, yeah. the ho- your house when my, you were My up? dad was, uh, played in the 25th Army Band for 42 years. Oh, wow. He was actually a music teacher. When he was started his teaching, he was a teacher, and then he became a principal and then a superintendent and then worked for the State Department of Education until he passed away um, six years ago, I guess, right on tax day. Oh, wow. <laughs> and, uh, he didn't want to pay his taxes that year. <laughs> no. That seems a drastic <laughs> but, way to get out of it. He but, played yeah. the trumpet and the saxophone, and um, like I said, he was a music teacher at one of the, I think at the school in Wilder is where he actually okay. taught. And uh, so he tried to get, I, I'm one of three boys. I have two brothers, one older, one younger. I'm the middle child. And, uh, you know, he tried to get each of us to play something. And I think I tried to, uh, wanted to start playing the drums first and that didn't go very far. Mm-hmm. And, and then I ended up playing the saxophone through, uh, elementary school and junior high. And then, uh, in high school, or actually I got my first guitar when I was eight years old for Christmas. And so I really had a, a desire to, to learn to play the guitar more than I did by the saxophone. Although I continued to play saxophone through junior high. So was there, uh, with those kinds of instruments, was there a lot of uh, jazz or classical music in the home then? Or? Uh, no, mostly marching band stuff. <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> yeah, my, my dad was a John Philip Sousa, oh, you know, wow. fan to the, to the core. <laughs> uh, now, you, you, mentioned, you mentioned when you picked up the guitar, which actually was going to be my, my next question, but how old were you when you first thought, uh, about trying to do more than than say play around the campfire and and uh, or for friends or family when when did you feel like maybe this was something I wanted to do well it was in it was in grade school I, I lived out at strike dam through the fifth grade and uh, a gentleman there by the name of Wally Billadu actually was a, a seasoned guitarist he played he worked for Idaho Power but he was very passionate about guitar and he actually taught me to play guitar and and uh, and my brother um, was, I believe, playing bass at that time, or vice versa. One of us was playing bass and the other <laughs> guitar. And back in the days of the monkeys, you know. Okay. And so we uh, immediately started forming a band just amongst some of the young kids there at the, at the in, in Strike there, Strike Dam, where we lived. There was 12 houses in a circle that were originally built for Idaho Power. But by the time we moved in there, the, only about... You know, maybe a third of them were used by Idaho Power employees, and the rest of them were open to for people to rent. Okay. And so it was a very close knit community there at Strike Dam, and 
And uh, Wally got us all playing guitar and took us to see the Whalers in Mountain Home. And we got to see Paul Revere and the Raiders at the old Boise State Stadium. You know, he was, he not only would teach us, but he also would take us to concerts. And uh, I remember my first electric guitar that he paid, I think, $25 for. <laughs> he drove into Boise and went to a pawn shop and it was in pretty bad shape. So he pulled the neck off and put a piece of wood in there to get the action a little closer. <laughs> Did some customizing on it. And uh, I remember uh, one of our, our greatest Christmas gifts was actually a Dane Electro amp that my brother and I got. And he used one channel and I used the other. <laughs> Who ended up with the amp after? Uh, when well, the... <laughs> I don't know. I wish I still had that amp, actually. But I, I don't know where it drifted off to. I, I don't know if, if you were like me as a, as a teenager, but I, I, I remember spending a lot of time in my room listening to music. Because uh, I... And, and, if you did the same, I can't imagine you were listening to marching band. <laughs> no. Uh, so, oh, so no. what kinds of, what kinds of music were you listening to? Uh, at, oh, back at in that point? day, I, the Doors were pretty popular, you know, and Monkees, like I said. Of course, the Beatles were around, and mm-hmm. a lot of those type of bands. And uh, so, I guess I guess I spent a lot of time listening to those, but most of it was just on uh, on the radio. The, the pop radio, you know, one of the Wally's daughter, one of his daughters, Yvonne, who was also played with a guy by the name of Terry Miller. They they ran oh. Red and Bra- Red and Black Music Shack. I don't know if you remember when that was here. No, but I know Terry. <laughs> well, and I don't know if it's the same Terry Miller okay, or not. Yeah. But but she uh, she was a seasoned bass player and a very uh, you know seasoned vocalist as well. But she would come over to babysit, and we'd always turn the the radio up real loud and listen to <laughs> all of those classic tunes that were real popular at the time. And okay. I remember that very vividly. Now it, you mentioned the Doors and the Beatles and, uh, and the Monkees. Was there anything that as you were listening to them growing up that you were able to sort of file away in the back of your head that you thought, you know, these, this is something I can, I can learn from or, or, or that influenced you at all. Oh yeah. I mean, like I said, in this little group that we put together, we of course started playing some of the, you know, Paul Revere and, and, and some of the monkey songs and different songs where we immediately began learning those as well. He taught us and helped us form this little band. But yeah, I think a lot of those classic melodies kind of did get stored in the, the files of my mind because I, I like, I like those classic melodies. You know, they seem to influence a lot of my, my songwriting today. Well, uh- Speaking of which, uh, I think at this point I might ask you to share one of your songs with us, uh, if you would, and, and maybe tell us a little bit about the song. Okay, sure. I'll uh, share uh, a song that um, I wrote. This one, I believe, was released in 2010. It's a song called Destiny is Calling. Call. 
mentioned that a, a lot of your songs uh, have uh, full band right uh, set of, do do you when you when you write a song and I, I'm gonna I want to talk more later about your songwriting but uh, this question just occurred to me so I thought I'd better ask it while I can remember it uh, <laughs> when you write a song do you think about how it might go over with just an acoustic guitar or do you write songs ever write songs that you intend to play strictly with well, all, all of my songs, I, I of course envision recording with with all of the instrumentation, mm-hmm. which usually for me is fairly limited. You know, usually I'll have an acoustic part. I'll have, and I, I played a lot of my lead parts on the acoustic, so it's classified as acoustic rock or acoustic pop or acoustic country, whatever genre you try to slip it into. But I always hear, you know, I played the bass for many years. Um, I played bass uh, probably well in, in rock bands for about seven to eight years, played in probably five different local bands back in the day. But I always played guitar at the same time. And um, in 1980, I switched back over to guitar pretty much full time. And um, so a lot of the songs that I do write, I, I write with the other parts in mind. But I, I always write them just on the acoustic guitar. Okay. But when I get into the studio, then my my mind slips into that pr- producing mode and and uh, <laughs> try to see what's going to sound right. And you know, and I spend hours upon hours mixing and mastering. <laughs> well, and and we are going to talk more about the songwriting a, a little later. But uh, I wanted to uh, talk to you about another venture that you've 
you've launched recently, the, the music series, uh, the Treasure Valley Songwriter Showcase. Right. How did that come about, and, and what, for you, was the inspiration behind it? Well, I, I, I think that there's a lot of songwriters out there. I know in my career, you know, I, 1995, I was pushing pretty hard, and I ended up recording four songs in Nashville. I went down there. I had a cousin that was a songwriter as well that's from Vancouver, Washington, and he was making the, the plunge to Nashville and had moved down there and was living there. So I did my research and put together a very professional, you know, introduction pack, photograph, you know, all the songs copywritten and written out, just exactly what they are looking for. You know, they don't want somebody to walk in off the street and give them a tape. Those go right to the trash. But if you contact all of those labels down there, every one of them will, t will take your material and listen to it. And so that's what I did. I did the, the footwork to get, get in the door. Went down there and uh, introduced myself and left my music with uh, probably about mm, close to a dozen different labels down there. And one of the smaller labels, a label called Platinum Plus Records, mm -hmm. you know, gave me a call and said they wanted to sign a one-year deal with me and, and uh, put together the paperwork. And then I went down and was able to record four songs in Tom T. Hall's studio down there, which is a converted barn that was converted into a studio. And it was all analog, you know, at the time. The tape was probably, I don't know, two or three inches wide that they recorded it on. And, of course, they had the top-notch studio musicians that were in Nashville at the time. Sonny Garish played the slide guitar, or the steel guitar. And uh, he, he was on, you know, most of Garth Brooks' albums and the fiddle player, bass player, drummer, keyboard player. All of those guys were, you know, the, the same guys that are on, you know, 75% of the, the songs that come out of Nashville. And uh, it, was, it was a lot of fun, very interesting time. Uh, of course, they didn't let me play anything <laughs> except <laughs> I got to sing and, and, and show them the song. But they just charted it out, one, four, five, you know, in the key and everything. Very, very professional at what they do. They ran through it a couple times and hit the record button, and away we went. And then, of course, I, I sang the, the lead vocal parts on them, and they had professional backup singers come in and do the backup vocals. And uh, two of the songs were released on a compilation album by them uh, that they did and was promoted out to supposedly hundreds of radio stations. And, and, you know, I don't know how far or how long they promoted it and that kind of thing. I don't, nothing really ever became of it, but it was still a very uh, absorbing experience for me, both, mm -hmm. you know, to be able to do that and have that quality of music. In fact, I have those two songs for sale on my website, solidrockboise.com. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, Which we'll get a link to. The Nashville Sessions. <laughs> and, uh, but it was a lot of fun to do that. And uh, um, so oh, I forget what your question was. Well, and getting back to the Songwriter no. Showcase. So what, what, I, what I noticed was that after that, you know, I kind of, I, I, I continued to write, but I didn't really try to get out and do anything with my music. You know, I just kind of let it grow in my closet, so to speak, grow, grow on my, my computer where I recorded it and just sit there. And, you know, I, I know that I had a lot of wasted years where I could have been more active in doing something as a songwriter. And possibly, you know, my, my goal has always been to, to get somebody, a big artist, to record some of my songs, mm -hmm. get them out there to where they're, you know, where you can make money as a songwriter. And uh, but I, I just saw a lot of lack of opportunity for songwriters. And I also saw a lot of quality songwriters in our valley. And I just thought, you know, it's just a shame that, that there's not some place where these guys can go and play that will give them more than a, a one song, you know, open mic type thing. 
and you know where they can be appreciated for what their the, the, you know the amount of their time and their lives that they've invested in these songs because you know even like destiny is calling you know that that song there is a song about you know rising up and overcoming adversity and and we all go through adversity and we go through hard hard things in our life but music has the ability to help us get to a place where we can go forward, where we can overcome those obstacles and where we can rise up. You know, a song will stick with you for a lifetime. You know, they, they always make the statement, you know, a picture paints a thousand words, but a song paints a lifetime. Because, you know, the songs that we were introduced to when we were in junior high and, you know, in those those crucial mm-hmm. times in our, our forming years, so to speak, when we hear those songs today, you know, they bring back emotion, they bring back memories, they bring back a lot of things. And I, I work at the hospital and there's a program out now that's called Music and Memory. And it's doing revolutionary things for patients with Alzheimer's, with dementia. And what it does is it, it puts on an iPod songs that were from their era, songs that they could relate to at the time. And there's people that have not spoken for 10 years that have all of a sudden got introduced to this music and memory program. And they listen to these songs on their iPod and immediately they, have, they start to respond and start to talk and start to come out of the, the dark places where they've been you know, through their illness. And I just know that that's the power of music. And if one song, somebody can come to one of these showcases and hear one song that touches their life or plants a seed in them, it can change, change them, you know. Now, at this point, as, as we're recording this, you've had, uh, I, I know of three showcases. Yep. And, and yeah, we've had 12 artists so far. And uh, at, when this airs, you will have just had the fourth one. Um, so what what has the response been like uh, so far? Well, we, we kind of started off fairly good. We had a little over 100, about 100 and probably 10 or 15 people at the first one. The second one, it almost got, was in half. We had about 55 to 60. Mm-hmm. And at the last one, which we just changed locations, you know, which so I didn't know, really know what to expect. We went from the, the Death Proof venue to the uh, Playhouse Boise, which, you know, has a full bar and all that kind of stuff. And it's a little bit different atmosphere. But sound-wise, you know, they have an, a great stage, a great sound system, an excellent sound, sound engineer that they use. And, uh, but the last one, we were probably we only had about uh, a little over 30 people you know, that, that paid and came, you know, to help support it. Mm-hmm. So we're hoping that this April 28th one that, um, you know, we can, we can, uh, have enough people that are, can relate to the new location and hopefully it won't be a super sunny day <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, that, that our last one, it was kind of one of the first real nice days that we had as well right. for spring. And, so there was just a lot of factors, but you know, um, fortunately, the, the the proprietor there was not just you know he wasn't unhappy. He wanted to continue to go forward, and then, of course, I want to go forward and get this thing moving. Because um, you also you had the location change. You also had, I think, a day. And yeah, time we went from change. Saturday to Sunday, and then we went from six to eight to three to six. So it's earlier in the afternoon, new day, new location. So, you know, uh, but one good thing that did occur was there was some people there that are involved in different types of promotions that were just really impressed with the caliber of show that it was, with the caliber of musicians that we, we had that day. And, uh, you know, they were really gung-ho about helping to promote it and helping to get it going. So what is, what is you're putting these together, and you've gone through a handful now, uh, 
what has the uh, learning curve been like? And, and also, what have you learned so far about the appetite for and appreciation of local original music? Well, I, I know that there's a lot of people that appreciate original music and singer-songwriter. It's just a matter of getting the word out to them, to that crowd. You know, in a, a town of our size, there, you know, you can fill just about any venue if you get the word to the right people. And so, um, you know, I, I know that it, because everybody that's come, regardless of you know who they were or what what their favorite style of music is, throughout the evening when you have four different artists, you have a, a pretty broad flavor of music going out. And, um, you know, anyone that has an appreciation for music can usually appreciate the originality that an artist has. I mean, let's face it, Bob Dylan didn't get famous because he was a great vocalist. (laughs) (laughs) He didn't get famous because he was a great musician even, but he was a great songwriter. And so, you know, songwriting, when people can see it and appreciate it for the art form that it is, then it opens up a whole new horizon. Well, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, now, the Idaho Songwriters Association has its monthly forum. Right, which is uh, a great program. And the, the Four Winds Cultural Center in Ontario recently launched a monthly singer-songwriter series. So uh, where do you see your uh, your series uh, fitting into the landscape? And, and what do you think with the addition of the Ontario uh, series and, and the continuing strength of the ISA forum – what do you think all of that says about uh, the state of local original music in the Treasure Valley? Well, I think there's a real hunger for it. You know, I, I think that, it, that, that the more opportunities, the better for, for songwriters because, you know, that's part of the whole reason to do this is to really inspire and, and encourage local singer-songwriters to continue to work on their craft and continue to, to get it out there. And, you know, a little appreciation goes a long way. Hmm. I mean, you know, musicians are famous, of course, for our ego, right? <laughs> and uh, it only takes one person clapping for us to keep going. <laughs> you know, the whole room doesn't have to be in love with the song. If there's one person, we'll play for that one person. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, I, I see the, the, the Treasure Valley Songwriters Showcase as being kind of one of the, the, the center of the, of the wheel, so to speak, you know, and then, then a lot of other things can branch out from it. But I think we have the core... Of, of the singer-songwriter uh, population and, and kind of the hub of the talent and everything right in this area. Obviously, Boise is the biggest city, so we, that's, you know, only we should have that. But there's a lot of talented songwriters out throughout the Treasure Valley, which encompasses, of course, a lot of other cities. Now, on, on the other side of that coin, uh, not that they were really known for staging a lot of original music or necessarily a lot of local music, but you, you have... Uh, the lo- a local place downtown that recently decided to stop having live music. Uh, I believe they're going to go to karaoke, oh. uh, partially over licensing issues. Right, right. But is is that a threat or a challenge to original music, or can it present an opportunity uh, for for those of us? Who I, I think that's a great opportunity for original music. You don't have to pay ASCAP or BMI for original songs. You know, those are songs that are owned by the songwriter mm-hmm. and. Uh, so, I mean, I'm a member of, of BMI myself, but, you know, I, I, I get a very small percentage from them for songs that I have out on the Internet. You know, I've got songs on Amazon, iTunes, 
you know, Spotify, all of these different venues that are out there, but, but I don't, I'm not raking in a, a fortune from any of them yet. So I'm still waiting for my first check. So well, I've, I've made money, but it's usually been just enough to kind of renew my, my, my commitment to that place for the next year. But. Well, on the subject of, of original music, uh, maybe I can ask you to share another song with us. All right. Uh, sure. I'll, sh- I'll share a song that has a, a lot of meaning to me. And it was one that I, this is a song that I really believe that there's a, a higher purpose for this song, you know, when I wrote it. Um, you know, we all, like I mentioned, you know, in my other song, you know, we kind of go through some dark places out there and different, different things in our lives. And 30 years ago, I went through an addiction in my life. And, you know, when you go through, you know, some sort of debilitating issue like that and you come out of it, you have a lot of hope for other people. You know, we know that, that of course, the, the uh, pain med epidemic that's going on in our country and a lot of those things and all the, the, there's too many people. If one person dies from it, that's too many. But a lot of times, and like I said, going through that type of thing, you understand that, that despair that you have because you're, you're just at your weakest point and you don't know how to get out of it. But this song is called Don't Give Up On You, and, and, and it's what I've found is that if you, when you realize you're not alone in your struggle, you're not alone in your fight, and you begin to lean on those people around you that do love you and do care for you, then you begin to find the strength to come out of it. But you need to not give up on yourself.
coming out of the song. I think it, it's time to talk a little songwriting. Um, <laughs> do you have a typical process that you uh, use or follow when, when you write? And, and, and do you try to set aside time to write most days? Or? Well, I set aside time to play. And when I'm when I'm playing, a lot of times I will, you know, if I'm if depends if I'm practicing a song I've already written, or I'm going over something, or I'm recording it, that's different. But usually, a lot of times I'll just pick up my guitar without really having any agenda, and I'll just start strumming or seeing, you know, what kind of chords or what what might happen. You know, I'll just start basically doing some finger exercises, doing a little practicing. And sometimes I'll hit upon something or I'll make a mistake in something and I'll say, oh, I like the way that chord, those chords sound. And so I'll, you know, try to develop something off of that. You know, some of my songs, um, you know, I've written, it's taken probably a year to write because I'll come up with something that I like and I'll know I want to use it at some point, but it's not a full song. It's just a portion of a song. And, uh, you know, one song that I wrote um, that's... Uh, it's it's called we're gonna ride it was that way you know I, I had the one lick kind of thing that I liked but I didn't really have lyrics and I didn't really know how it was going to fit into a song until I it kind of developed over a year's time you know other things uh, what I like to do is I'll find inspiration from playing with different gadgets you know I'll pick up my electric guitar and crank up the fuzz you know or crank up some different effects and just start fiddling around and, and see if I like something or see if I get a certain feel for a pattern Pattern. And if I get a feel for that pattern, then I'll develop the pattern. And usually, usually I, I almost always write the music first. I'll have the the you know the the verse and the chorus, or you know as John Lennon said, you know take your your best part and make that your chorus. Whether it's the verse or the chorus, <laughs> take what comes out the best to make that your chorus. And so I I haven't really followed that too closely, but because <laughs> usually I like my chorus as best anyway. Yeah. <laughs> but. Uh, you know, I'll I'll just let the song develop on its own, uh, but usually it comes from pieces and parts. You know, I'll sit down and have my my meal with my guitar, so to speak, and some things I'll chew up and digest, and the other things I'll spit out. <laughs> you've uh, you've actually partially answered a couple of other questions I had, so let me ask you this: um, how much how much practice time do you you try to get in every day? I try to play at least an hour a day. You know, I, I sometimes my between my wife and other things, <laughs> she, you know, she's usually got something going on. So I can go to my room and my off in you know, my studio at my house there and, and just, you know, play away. And but yeah, I try to play at least an hour a day. You, you mentioned you mentioned, too, that uh, sometimes you'll you'll pick up uh, and play with your gadgets, as you put it. Right. Uh, and sometimes you'll get inspiration from that. What uh, what else uh, do you draw inspiration from when you get around to writing a song? Well, I, I draw inspiration from, you know, um, I, what I believe is, is part of my calling in songwriting is, you know, inspiration and the spiritual realm and just uh, trying to encourage and help people, trying to, you know, reveal, you know, that, that there's a, a higher power that, ha that has a, 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 an expression and love for people. You know, I was thinking about it today, and, you know, I mean, let's face it, the, the longest book that you can find in the Bible is called the Book of Psalms. And believe it or not, that was thousands of songs. The two greatest mm -hmm. kings that are talked about in the Bible were both songwriters. You know, Solomon and David both wrote 
well over a thousand songs. So there's something about this music and connecting spiritually uh, to a person and, 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 you know, in a person's life, because let's face it, if we don't have meaning in our life, then we have very little to live for. And usually people that have the greatest despair don't realize how valuable they really are and how much their life is really worth because no one's really told them that. And, and I've, I've heard it said, and I think I've repeated it on occasion, that, that music is often referred to as a universal language. Absolutely. If you don't speak Spanish or French, you, can, you <laughs> might still be able to speak music. Yeah, yeah. I've gone to, been to Guatemala four times and Venezuela once, and I, I did concerts down there both, you know, all, all five times. And uh, music definitely touched people's lives in any language. Now you mentioned you mentioned a little while ago that uh, you that one of your songs it, it took about a year to come together, which I actually had a question about time frames, uh, and, and this is sort of a two parter. But what's the quick the quickest you've had a song come together, and and what's what's a song that took the longest? What's the longest it's taken for a song to come together for you? Well, you know that, that that's a good question. I, I think the quickest time I've ever had a song come together was probably within an hour. You know, of sitting down, finding something I liked, and immediately, I would I had you know some sort of a lyrical inspiration that went with the with the song. You know, other songs have taken years. You know, I, I probably maybe had some that that I jammed little things for two years before they ever developed into a song, and I have other things that I've played that have never become a song. <laughs> And so that's okay, you know, you just kind of let things drift along until they they hit the right shore and then all of a sudden they become something. Do you do you keep a file of any of those partial ideas in 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 with the thought that someday so, they might Sometimes I'll record them, you know. Sometimes if I'm thinking I'll record, you know, little parts, but usually I don't. I just let them sit there in the back of my mind and then, you know, bring them up when I when I get ready to do something. And if they're meant to be, they'll Yeah, exactly. Uh, let's talk about what uh, is is a long time would be lyricist uh, and songwriter myself. For me, was the the hardest part uh, your revision process. Right? Um, do you revise as you go, or do you wait till you have like an initial kind of uh, framework for your song, and then kind of go? Back? I'll, I'll revise lyrics. You know, lyrics. I've <laughs> I've sat down and and had the 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 music music part of the song down, but I've rewritten the lyrics up to five times. You know, I just haven't liked the way something came out. You know, and one of the songs I did that on, I, I really I don't really even play anymore. <laughs> so I guess I wasn't too satisfied with them. You know, I have a lot of songs that have kind of fallen by the wayside through the years, and some that I've just enjoyed in the moment, recorded them. You know, had a good time recording them, producing them, and, and you know, enjoyed the flavor of the song, and then, but never really felt like it was something that I wanted to do live. You know, I've got probably three songs that are in that category now. You know, and partially, usually for me, when it comes to a live performance, I need to find a key that that will my voice will work in. And sometimes that's a challenge. And I have, I've, I've always thought, felt like, and, and when I record myself, I have a, a higher range voice, but I also find that there are some songs that are just too high for me. So I don't know who's singing those besides Don Henley, you know. <laughs> so, you, so you don't necessarily write songs for your own voice. No, I, I actually don't. But I try to record them, and okay. and that's where I'll that's where I spend the bulk of my time when it comes to my songwriting is when I'm recording them. You know, I'll spend hours upon hours going through the mixing process, adding parts. You know, trying to get the flavor just right with the instrumentation. You know, you don't I don't want things to be too close. 
cluttered, but I, I'm very melodic in the things that I do, and especially in my leads and the different things that I'll do on the guitar. So I'll intertwine those melodies in there throughout the song. You know, um, I have a song that I wrote for my wife on our 40th anniversary that's that way, and, and I was able to get a good friend, Robert Sutherland, to do a nice string part on it, you know, mm -hmm. in the recording. In fact, it's on my website as well, but uh, the video's there. And uh, that one, you know, it, I have, I have a, a, a lead vocal and a backup vocal that sing all the way through it. It's kind of like a Simon and Garfunkel thing where they both sing the whole song. And, and you know, that's the way, just the way this one felt right to come out. You know, a lot of songs I, I'll put harmonies on, you know, every third line or every other line type of a thing because I like to get the harmony flavor, you know, mixed in with my voice when I record. And, uh, but a, a lot of the, 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 the mixing down, the, the winding down or any revisions usually take place when I'm recording. Okay. Now you've been, you've been writing and performing for some years now. Right. Um, how, how, how has, do you think your music has changed over that time? And, and also how, if, uh, how have your musical aspirations changed? Well, uh, my, my music, you know, is, I, I believe that, you know, as a songwriter, your music is constantly progressing. You're, you know, I, I, you, I got to a point where, you know, you try to, try to get things. You don't want too simple of a song, so you try to make things, you know, change parts around and add more parts. You know, I have several songs where I probably have three different chord progressions for the song, you know, and that's just in the verse. <laughs> and so, but <laughs> other songs, depending on how it comes out, and, and I, I try not to put myself in any box when I write. Right. a song i'm not trying to do just you know standard verse standard chorus just whatever whatever i feel fits the song how it comes out you know is really the way i say it because it's in me i've got to draw it out and how it comes out is how i play it and then at the, if it needs refining so to speak then i'll i'll refine a few things but usually i try to play them in the raw form that they however i interpret them as they come out is how i'll ultimately write them and, uh, you know, as far as my aspirations, I don't think my aspirations musically have changed for um, really at all. You know, but there again, that's that musician ego thing. You know, I still want to, you know, get out there and, and, and get the right songs, get some songs out there that'll, that'll get me a record deal, you know, get, a, get some sort of a deal going. And with all the self-producing that we're able to do now on the Internet, of course, there's unlimited venues. I mean, you know, these guys are, a lot of guys are getting discovered every day just from their YouTube channel. You know, and there's, there's so many opportunities for songwriters today. And I'm a firm believer that a song will, will sell itself. You, you don't have to do anything fancy. You don't have to have some great record label or all these great things. You know, a song, if it's the right song, will sell itself because it speaks to people, touches their hearts. It, it hits them where they are. And that's really, I think, one of my greatest aspirations and goals as a songwriter is to write songs that, that really touch people's lives. And when you do that, you know, you've been successful, whether you're making a million dollars or making $85. Okay. <laughs> now, earlier you, you talked about uh, the idea of writing a song that, and having some, that someone else would record. Right. Uh, with the changes in the music industry, is there, is there, do you still see a, a place for people who 
maybe aren't looking to be professional singers, but they are songwriters, and, right. and for that aspect? To, yeah. To... Well, I'm sure there is, but, you know, it's like anything in the music business. If you try to crack into that scene, you've got to get that right connection at the right time. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, a, it's that magical moment where all of a sudden you get the right publisher, you get the right person who is really, I mean, there's the, unfortunately there's so many scams out there on the Internet that musicians are great suckers for. I know when I was 19, 20, I got sucked into this production school thing in, in uh, Minneapolis. And, you know, I spent $3,000 just to get into the thing. And it was run by a guy by the name of Boyd Hunt, Boyd Hunt Enterprises. And boy, it was a ripoff. You know, and they, they had a good musician referral program that they did a lot of good things through. But ultimately, their goal was to get musicians to come in there, audition, and put them into what they called TCs, trial combos. And once they got you in there, they were supposed to send you out on the road for six months, bring you back to the studio, record an album, and make you famous. <laughs> you know, and yeah, they that didn't quite work out. I'll, I'll keep, make a long story short in saying that after two and a half months, when I was supposed to be on the road, I was in a TC with a guitarist from um, from Chicago and myself, and I was playing bass. The other people that were supposed to be in our trial combination, you know, one guy got sent home, the girl got pregnant, and they never got us a drummer. <laughs> so, <laughs> needless to say, I was out the money. And I, I was married at the time. My wife had stayed with her parents until the right time to come out. I came back on the bus. I traded all my musical equipment that I had for a, a Rickenbacker bass that had my the serial number was the same as my birth date. <laughs> I got that white Rick, and I came back to Boise on a three-day bus ride. Oh. <laughs> Flat broke. <laughs> <laughs> but... You know, it didn't, it didn't defer me. I still, you know, wanted to pursue a music career. But like I said, there's a lot of things out there where somebody's just trying to make a buck off mm-hmm. someone who wants to be famous. And you've got to be real careful, you know. Uh, there's a lot of true, you know, publishers and true places where you can introduce your music. But at the same time, there's there's so many people that are trying to do that. And unless you get the right connection, it's not gonna it's not gonna carry much weight. You know, you're gonna pretty much have to sell the song on your own, on the internet, you know, on YouTube, get it out there, maybe have a local person record it, and then get somebody's attention that way. That seems to work for a lot of these guys. Now, since since you mentioned earlier that you you had the opportunity to go to Nashville and record uh, four of your songs, uh, you have a, l- a a little bit of that sort of crossover experience between the days of of record labels. And now where so much is self-produced, uh, although record labels still exist, they, right. they in many ways seem to have diminished power yeah. compared to the oldest. Is that good or bad or some of both? Well, you know, I, I think record labels in themselves, you know, we've all heard the horror stories about the, even the big bands, you know, Queen and all these great bands that got suckered into these, you know, bonehead contracts where the producer and the record company was making all the money off of their stuff, you know. So I don't know that record companies in themselves have ever been good. <laughs> There's probably been a few good ones in the bunch, but, you know, like they say, it's business and, and they're out to make as much money as they can. So personally, I think that, you know, you you should always stay wary of, of, of record companies in that sense. And that's why I, I think that we're in a great place where, uh, you know, the self-producing and the self-promoting and all these different things are there. There's There are good to- tools out there. Artist PR, you know, is one that's for promotion. And there's, there's legitimate places there that if you want to spend the money and take the time to do it, you, you can get it out there. 
and you can you can find the right audience because it, it seems like it adds to the workload though oh <laughs> yeah it, it does it does you know unfortunately i'm not 22 years old anymore and uh you know i, yeah, you I a lot both. of my a lot of my time and my energies are in other places so i'm i'm and partially you know even through the treasure valley songwriter showcase one of my desires is to start doing more producing and, and to encourage a lot of these younger songwriters and younger artists and groups that I've had even play already, you know, I'm helping one of the groups, um, I'm, I'm remastering all of their songs for them. They have some on Spotify. And when I listen to them, I'm like, uh, dude, <laughs> someone did not master these songs. One's kind of loud, one's quiet, one's kind of all over the place. And, and uh, so I'm remastering their songs for them and I'm not charging them just because, you know, I want to build that relationship mm. with them. I, I believe in what they're, they're doing and believe in them as a, as a, as a group. And, uh, you know, I, I think they have a lot of potential and that's, you know, I think what a lot of younger songwriters need, they need someone to kind of step alongside and mentor them. And that as an older songwriter myself, you know, I, I see my role kind of transitioning more to that. And, and I'm hoping that through this showcase that I get more opportunities to do that. Well, at this point, I, I guess I'll say that even though I'm an older songwriter, I feel like a younger songwriter because we, we haven't been at it that long. But, yeah. uh, let me, I, I think I'm just about out of questions, but let me ask you before we, we close, what else about you and your music would you like people to know? Well, um, you know, I, I just really believe that, that music, I, I was actually writing a, a uh, news release that I'm going to get out there for the Songwriter Showcase, and as I was putting some of my thoughts down, you know, I, I just think that music is one of those things um, that has such power within it uh, to sway a person's life, you know, and whether they're at the point of despair or they're, you know, wherever they're at in their life, music can inspire them to go higher. It can inspire them to do the right thing. It can inspire them to do so many things. And really, that's, you know, been my passion in music for many years. You know, I've been writing songs for probably 40 years. And, uh, you know, my, my passion has always been, um, you know, to try to inspire people through music because of the power that it's had in my life. You know, I'm, I'm not a, a real emotional person, but there are times when, you know, the emotions, like I said, of songs that I heard when I was in mm. junior high or in high school when I was not in a good place. You know, I was going through addictions and I had problems and those songs, you know, got in there. And, uh, you know, the, the, the fact that music has the ability to not only sway people for good, but also for evil. You know, we have to look at the, the other side of the coin. You know, I mean, the, the, <laughs> getting back to the Bible, it talks about the fact that Lucifer was actually a song leader in heaven before he fell. That was his job. He has a description of him. He has musical instruments built into his being. And so not only does music have the ability to destroy and to bring people down as we, you don't have to look very far to see some of those bands out there that that's their goal, you know, to tear things up and destroy people's lives and tell people to do things they shouldn't do. But on the other side of the coin is the inspiration and the, and the true power of music that will inspire people to go higher. Well, at this point, I think if, if we could uh, maybe close with one more song. Okay. All right. <laughs> I'll play the one I was talking about. But 
Gonna take the last train out of the station It doesn't matter where it's heading to As long as this old train keeps on moving And as long as I'm right here next to you to Michael J. Brown. You'll find links to his website and social media pages on our page, measured-voices.blogspot.com. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Measured Voices. In episode 32, I'll sit down with another longtime Treasure Valley songwriter, Carrie William White. Until then, I'm Walt Huntsman, and this has been Measured Voices. Measured Voices.